0: Good morning. We are grateful for your attendance this morning and for the opportunity to stay together. If you have your Bibles with you as you're settling there and getting ready for the lesson, you can be turning to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. As we begin this minute this morning, I do want to make just a mention uh, and have a, a brief word of prayer as we begin. Uh, many of you we know, and, and as Gary announced about, we've been praying for our brother Gabby and also for our brother Marvin. Uh, Marvin has had a, a rough couple of days, and that uh, I had somebody passed a message on to me that he had hoped to be coming home uh, in the next few days, next week. And then he has actually been uh, put in the hospital at Erlanger. He's had some uh, pneumonia develop in his lungs, possibly from aspirating. And so uh, we wanted to make mention of that and be sure you're aware of that. Uh, Because there are a lot of folks who need our prayers and um, we continue to have a list that is growing uh, But especially some of those who are dealing with things right here in the moment that we can pray for Uh, We wanted to make mention of that. It's good to see Miss Ann this morning and and many others who are back uh, But certainly a lot of folks continue to need our prayers as we begin. Let's let's bow in prayer this morning our most gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that lies before us. We pray that our worship thus far has been accepting, uh, acceptable to you, that we have worshipped in spirit and in truth. We pray especially in the next few moments that we will open our, our hearts and open our minds as we open our Bibles and try to study your word, that each one of us um, can strive to find something that we can apply to our lives, not only this day, but as we go forth and strive to be faithful even up until the point of death. Father, we pray a special prayer for those who have been mentioned this morning, especially those of our numbers. We have a few of our men who have been long-standing servants here, who have encouraged so many of us that we, have, uh, that we care diligently about, love very much, and we want to pray for specifically our, our brother Gabby this morning as he will continue to go through treatments so that you will give him strength, that you'll be with him and his family, and those means that they're being used to care for him. And also our brother Marvin. Father, we know it's been a long road here lately. We pray that you will be with him uh, in the coming days, again, those who are attending to him and the means that are being used, that things will be done, that can be, where it can be that he can be home again very soon. We're thankful for his family. I ask that you continue to bless them as, as they try to encourage him as well. And Father, again, we pray that you'll be with us in the next few moments as we study your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over the last couple of weeks, well, really, I guess last week and really all day last Sunday, we've kind of had a bit of a mini-series on parables I didn't necessarily plan that out uh, for the year, but as we talked about ideas for our Vacation Bible School, we thought, well, parables would be a great thing. We can look at several. Uh, we can kind of cram a few in, and not only do our, do our young people study four of the parables of Jesus uh, last Sunday in their classes, but we also looked at some here in our auditorium class. And then last Sunday morning, well, it would be beneficial for us if we're going to look at parables, to, to think about parables in general. And if they were so much of Christ's teaching. And I think if you were here last week, hopefully you recall that there were about a third of the teachings of Jesus. And and not only that, but he didn't begin until later in his teaching, in his ministry, to use parables. And if at that point he begins, and it's a third of his teaching, not only that, but we pointed out last week that there were 30 or more parables that Jesus gave, that he taught to others, then it would be beneficial and, yea, maybe even imperative for us to consider those parables and to think about their meanings, And so today we want to begin or want to continue, I guess I should say, thinking about some. I had an opportunity lately to to preach on several from other speaking engagements that I've had that have actually happened to be about parables. And so I thought, well, why not? Let's just make a little bit of a mini series here and kind of think about a few more things that would be encouraging to us. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus begins a parable, and I'm not sure we're going to do our best to just read it here because it's probably one that is lesser known to you. Jesus begins, Matthew 20 in verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went verse five. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. And so he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. Verse 8. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner saying, these last men have worked only 1 hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Verse 13, but he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go on your way. I wish to give it to this last man to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish? with my own things, or is your eye evil, because I am good. Then Jesus concludes in verse sixteen, So the last will be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now as I mentioned, this is probably one that is not as familiar. We think about parables like the the lost son, which God be willing we're going to talk about next Sunday morning. We think about parables like the Good Samaritan. We know those and we realize that those are, are ones that are known around the world. But the laborers in the vineyard is not as familiar to us. As we begin, let's consider the context. You remember last week that we said in our overview of parables that it's important that we understand everything going on around the parables. And so we come to Matthew chapter 20, and you notice in Matthew chapter 21 that we are almost to the end. Well, the end of what? Well, the end of the life of Jesus. Matthew 21 begins in my Bible with a human heading that says, The triumphal entry. We're about to enter the last week of the life of Jesus here upon this earth. And so we're kind of nearing the end of his ministry. But then we go backwards as well, and we notice what comes before. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22 is the story or the interaction of Jesus with the rich young ruler. And not only that, and we're going to come back to this and hammer it at the end of our lesson, but in verse number 27, there is an interaction with Peter And really that whole section between the interaction with the rich young ruler that ends in verse 22 and verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, he begins to speak to them. But specifically verse 27, Peter asked a question. And that all leads into what Jesus is going to say in verse number 20. Now, when we think about who is who in this parable, the who's who, if you will. For our purpose, we might say there are three groups as we try to make application to our lives. Number one, there is the landowner or the master or the householder, depending on the version that you're looking at there in verse number 20. We're going to, for our purposes, say number two. The second group is the group of workers who were hired at the morning, who were hired, we might say, at sunrise. He says there in verse number 20 that he went out early in The morning. That's the first group. That's the group that's going to have the problem, that's going to ask the question. And then for our purposes, let's group together everyone else. There's those who were hired in the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour. Now, if you know your Jewish history or the clock and the way that they measure time, we'll usually say that's about 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. If we're working on roughly, we might even call a 6 to 6 kind of idea. That they were working there. And so, as they said in the story, these men have only worked one hour in verse number 12. About 5 p.m. to to 6 p.m. possibly. Now, one thing we said last week, we're going to say it next week, but I want you to understand about parables, is that usually, generally, they are teaching one plain message. And that's what we're going to come back and, and really talk about. They usually teach one message But for the sake of our time this morning and our understanding, I think there are a few other things that we can glean. In fact, last week I warned you. I cautioned you. I said, if you're going to look at a parable, you need to look at the context. You need to understand that we should not always take our doctrine from a parable, although our parable will usually support other things in the Bible. It doesn't contradict. And so it's important that we understand everything around it that's included in it, and I think there are a few other lessons for us before we begin to hammer home on the main point. Number one, God is continually seeking workers in his vineyard. Notice the the landowner, the householder in verse number one. In this particular parable, the landowner does represent God the Father. God is seeking workers in his vineyard continually. Jesus has already emphasized this principle in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. Jesus would say the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If God truly desires all men everywhere to repent, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. If God truly desires all men to come to repentance, and think about this for a minute, his plan, we might say, the plan of salvation, his plan to save mankind, it did not end at the cross, right? I reckon Jesus could have cried out, he could have given up the ghost, his blood has been shed, and that could have been it. All those who had lived thus far or saved, anyone else who, who does or doesn't come after, does. I, I don't know, that could have been it right there. But, but we continue on. We even move forward to Acts chapter 2, that day of Pentecost, and think about it, I guess that could have been the end. God could have said, okay, Peter preached this sermon, the sermons preach all those who hear the word and believe and are baptized or saved, and others are not, and I guess that's it. That could have been the end of it. But no, that's not the it. That's not the end. It's still continuing on. People are still continuing to live, and his plan has not ended yet in the sense that we still have an opportunity to be saved or to encourage others to be saved. So if God truly desires all men to come to repentance, and it's, it's not over yet, then he is. Continually seeking laborers to go into his vineyard. The vineyard here represents the kingdom or the church, and we should be laborers. Diligent work is expected in the kingdom. And we might also make note here that we must work in his vineyard. His vineyard, the kingdom, is the approved place for service. And maybe this is a small lesson for 2021 or or for our culture or our society today. But many people either become Christians or already are Christians and are committed. But committed to everything else under the sun but serving God. Paul's stark reminder to the Colossian brethren in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. I'm afraid that we get so caught up in everything else that is going on around us, and I don't think there is anything wrong with sports or playing sports. I don't think there's anything wrong with being a part of civic groups or having other responsibilities in in our world and to our work and our place of business and things like that. But sometimes we become so committed to everything else We are not serving in his kingdom, in his vineyard. Or as Paul would write as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, his encouragement there to be always abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God is continually seeking workers, those who would serve him in his vineyard. Number two, Eleventh hour repentance is possible, but should not be counted on. Take a note of what exactly is said here and allow me to explain. In verses 5 through 7, we see that more workers are sought after and some come in the eleventh hour. And so some people use this parable to promote the idea that it's okay to wait. Wait that it's okay to wait to the end. In fact, it might be even more beneficial to wait to the end. But notice that these people in the parable went to work the first time they were offered work. They didn't say, well, we turned down everybody else, or, you know, we just wanted to take it easy the first half of the day. We're going to wait till something better came along. No, they say that when they say we came, or no one's offered us work, excuse me, in verse number seven. Do, now, do I believe do, do I believe that a person who is, and let's, I hate making hypotheticals, but we do that sometimes. Do I believe that a person who is 94 years old, we'll just toss out an age, can be taught the gospel of Christ, can be baptized for the remission of their sins, they can live faithfully for five or 10 days or more, or some smaller number of days, that person can then have a home in heaven. Do I believe that? Absolutely. I believe that. Yes. But I also know, as you do as well, of teenagers who have lost their lives in car accidents. Teenagers whose time on this earth have come to an end before anyone could ever have imagined. Adults who have died suddenly and unexpectedly, who didn't even have time to to think, much less to, to make any changes in their life. We can't put it off, and we should serve when presented the chance. James said in James chapter 4 and verse 13, verses 13 and 14, that our life is like a vapor. Paul said in Ephesians 5 in verse 16 that we are to be about redeeming the time, making the most of our time. Or as the wisest of the wise talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, that there is a day coming, and for many people now is, when we grow older and weaker And the days are difficult. Unfortunately, this passage, this parable, is often used by some people to encourage postponing obedience, and that is not true. That's not the point of the parable here. It is not encouraged. I ask you, as I sometimes do, do you mean it when you sing it? Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. We need to realize that, yes, 11th hour repentance is possible, but it should not be counted on because we never know how much time we have here upon this earth. Number three, notice from this parable that no one received payment until the end of the day. Notice in verses 8 through 10, that when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, go pay everybody, pay them from the last who began work to those who came first. And we see that everyone got paid, but they didn't get paid until the work was completed. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 reminds us that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Our service must be for more than one day, one week, one month, or one year, but our service should be for one lifetime. Now don't misunderstand, as we said a moment ago, some people it may be one day, some people it may be one week. And they may not be able to help that in the sense that they become a Christian later in life and only have a few days or weeks or months before their life is required or they, their time on this earth comes to an end. But at the same time, we must give our lifetime, whatever that is. We all know Revelation chapter two and verse ten, being faithful unto death, or up unto the point of death, or even as those folks who would read these letters, these words, very early, even if death was required. Of them, and you shall receive the crown of life. And I personally don't believe that it can be much worse than the way that Peter describes it. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, that it is as bad as a pig going back to the mud or the mire, or a dog returning to its own vomit. A pretty harsh way to remind us that we must be faithful unto the end. This is not the main point of the parable, but it is a good reminder. I also think about the encouragement of the Hebrew writer, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. And that encouragement is that of, if you have become a partaker of Christ, hold firm. Keep a a firm grip until the very end. That is the way that we should be living. Not the main point, but definitely a good point from here. No one received payment until the end of the day. Number four. This is this kind of begins to hone in on, I think, what the main point is. I saw several folks that said it this way, and it kind of sticks out. Service, not seniority, matters the most with the Lord. In verses 11 and 12, when those who had come first received the same as those who had come last, notice verse 11, they complain. They complain against the landowner. And here's this, this point. Here's where I believe the rubber really starts to meet the road for us. And I've said this a bunch. I feel like I've said it a lot lately because I think it's a problem that we all struggle with. But if we're really being honest, and that's a problem for many of us, myself included at times. But if we're really being honest with the situation, here's where it gets serious. Because if we're honest, I think we would have been upset too, right? I mean, really, because we've been in that situation before. We think it's unfair. Somebody's getting what we should have gotten or they're getting the same thing we're getting and we did more work and we get upset about that. If we're being honest, this is the position we're in with these who were hired first. But let's also be honest. If we're going to hold to that standard and we're going to be consistent, which is what God wants from us is consistency in so many things. If we're being consistent, then length can't be the standard, right? I mean, length of service, time can't be the standard. What about a person who was martyred young? I know it doesn't happen today, but go back to Stephen. You think about Stephen. Stephen could have lived many years serving God, but he didn't get a chance to. So is it about length of service? Oh, sorry, Stephen. I mean, I know you died preaching the gospel, but but sorry, you only lived 30 years, 40 years, whatever it is. Sorry, the rest of us who have lived 70, 80, 90, we deserve more than you. No, most of us agree that wouldn't be the case. So length length shouldn't be the standard. What about suffering? Let's think about that for a minute. Should suffering be the standard? What about John the baptizer? What he went through? What about Stephen, again, being stoned, giving his life? Well, what about me? I mean, I've not had to suffer very much. I don't know that, that you mean I'm going to get the same thing as Stephen got? I'm going to get the same thing as John the baptizer got? So should suffering be the standard? We know Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a payment for sin. It's death. But, even though what we deserve is death, we all receive a gift. Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Or think about the way Paul writes it in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8. Finally, do you remember how Paul is writing here? I mean, at the end of his life. Finally, do you remember the, the things that Paul listed? That how many times he was beaten? How many times he was shipwrecked? How many times he was stoned, put in prison? Do you remember that? Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, we focus on the first part of that. This is another thing we do sometimes not very well, but we focus on part of a verse. We focus on the first part. There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That's great. But did you catch the end? What does Paul say? Not only to me, but also to all. Really, Paul? For all? I mean, Paul, you're not going to complain that you're going to get the same thing that I get with everything else that you suffered and went through? In the context of this lesson, we look at others and say they may not deserve what we have. But did Paul say the same thing for us? No, he didn't. He suffered all of those things. We don't even have time to list them all this morning. He's going to receive the crown of righteousness. So suffering can't be the standard because I think many of us would be way down there. All receive the same pay. It's about service and not just about seniority. Number five, we notice as well from this parable that God and God alone is the just and righteous judge. Verses 13 through 15, as these first workers are questioning the homeowner or the the landowner, then, then the landowner speaks up. He says, friend, you know, he says, I've got some thoughts for you. It's kind of interesting. It's similar to the way we think about Job there's a little shameless plug for tonight as well. We're going to talk about the book of Job tonight if you can be back with us this evening for our worship service. But you remember in Job, one thing we remember about Job, besides just his suffering, is that time that Job says, Hey, God, I want you to listen to me. I got some things for you. And of course, God comes back and says, Are you ready? Because I have some things for you. And sort of a similar turn of events here, these guys say, Hey, who are you? What do you think you're doing? You owe us more. But the landowner, and again for this parable it's God, God says, well let me ask you some questions. And certainly we see here it is within God's power to reward. We think about Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6 that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And essentially what the landowner is saying here is, hey, there's a bad attitude here, but it ain't me, it's you. I didn't break my covenant. I kept my word. We agreed on this. I gave you this. And once again, let's go back just a minute to our previous point. If we're being honest, we're in the position as those first workers because everybody here understands bearing the burden and the heat of the day if you've lived in Tennessee for any amount of time, right? One of my kids asked me either this morning or last night, hey, when's the colder weather coming? You better be waiting about a few more months, right, before we get to the colder weather around here. We all understand the heat of the day, bearing the burden of the work. So they ask the question, and the landowner says, it's not my problem. I'm keeping my word. If there's a bad attitude here, it's you. God gives as he sees fit. And by the way, we are not the judge, and we also wouldn't be very good at it either. We're very partial a lot of times to our friends, to our family, to people that we love. We're not the judge, and we wouldn't be very good at it. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean that we can't make judgments. We had this discussion a few Wednesday nights ago. If you missed that, you can always view it as our services are online now. You can go back and see as we talk some about judgment. We make judgments, righteous judgment. We make discernments based on the word of God, but ultimately we are not the judge. Part of what these people needed to learn was that no man with his woefully limited knowledge is qualified to pass judgment on his master. God is sovereign and what he deems is right is right. Do you remember when Abraham was interceding for Sodom in Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 25, Abraham would say, far be it for you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous would be as the wicked, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God, and God alone, is the just and righteous judge. And then our final point here, and to kind of begin to make the main point, if you have your Bible still open there to Matthew chapter 20, you notice in verse number 16 that the last will be first, and the first last, and many are called, but few chosen. And in your Bible, you may notice to go back up to the end of chapter 19, and that's the last thing that Jesus says before he begins his parable. Maybe we're beginning to hone in on the main theme here. When we think about the last being first and the first being last, many are called but few chosen, think about the day of judgment. Think about the day uh, of getting to heaven, the, the day of eternity beginning there. I imagine that there will be some people who will be there who we never expected. There will be some people there that we might have made a judgment and said, there's no way, you know, there's just no chance. And there will be some people there who we would never have expected to be there. But think about it as well. I'm going to say there's a good chance that some will be missing who we would have expected to be there. Now, I'm not the judge. I don't have a list of people who fall in either one of those categories. I don't know. But I think that will be the case. Because God continues to point out, Jesus continues to say, the first will be last and the last will be first. Now, hopefully as Christians, discerning and judging through the word of God and looking around us, maybe we'll be more right than others. Maybe we'll be more correct if we were to make a list of people Maybe the world is, is more at fault for this because they look around and see quote-unquote good people who they assume all those good people are going to heaven, whether they're faithful or not or whether they're Christians or not. We know certainly that would be the case. But in Revelation chapter 3 in verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, I know your works. Notice that you have a name that you are alive. But you are dead. Even here in the Bible, Jesus saying, John recording for us that there are those who would be considered alive but are dead? Absolutely. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 24, Paul would write to Timothy and say, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men, they follow later. The first and the last issue is not for man. To decide what we need to do is be faithful going back to some of our other points what we need to do is have faithful service in his vineyard for our lifetime because that's what god requires of us a couple of final thoughts here just real quick and the lesson will be yours uh, one thing that i would just say is and i I'm, i may be chasing rabbits as we say going off a little bit here I think that one of our most serious problems in 2021 and in our world today is comparison. That we're always worried about what everybody else is doing. We're always caught up with whether they have more than we have or we don't have enough or, or vice versa, or they're doing this or they're doing that. I, that's not the main point of this parable, don't get me wrong. But I think that we sometimes get caught up in that even more so today. And essentially that's what those first workers are doing or saying is, hey, I got this, they got that, and we're comparing. And that, that's a problem sometimes. I just want to say that because I think it's something we see more and more. Even as we build out into the anxiety that people feel and other things, it's brought up because we are just constantly worried about everybody else and everything else as opposed to taking care of our own selves and our own family or what we're doing. But that's not exactly the main point. Some people also say that the main point is the gospel is for all. Think about the fact that, that often these parables were spoken to the Pharisees and to the scribes and to the Jews and so some people would say that the point of this parable is that the, the promise is given to all that while the Jews were God's chosen people and had been for a long time the Gentiles will be accepted now Jesus has not given his life yet here in Matthew 20 you know the gospel has not been preached the church has not been established but that day is coming and some would say that even those who come later us Gentiles are going to receive the same promise and I think that's a obviously a biblical point But maybe, just maybe, going back to our Bibles for just a moment, this point, or the main point, is in response to Peter's question. There in Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 27. Right after Jesus has told the rich young ruler what he told him, and the rich young ruler goes away sorrowful, Peter then asks the question, See, we have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? And I think implied there is a bit of a self-righteous boast that we all fall into if we're not careful. It's the expectation of an earned reward. Peter almost looking back down the road and saying, hey, he took off running. He had all that stuff and he wasn't willing to give it up. We have given up everything and we are poor. So what are we going to get? Is kind of the way it seems like Peter is making the statement here. And maybe the point of the parable is, that the what's-in-it-for-me attitude is not the reason for following Christ. Indeed, absolutely, without a doubt, 100%, there are benefits, both temporal and eternal, for service unto God. But Jesus gave this parable that immediately follows Peter's question and the interaction with the rich young ruler to show that this what's-in-it-for-me attitude is not the reason for following Christ. The point is that one should not try to bargain with God over whether to do his will. This is the approach by Satan, is it not? That rewards would be the only reason that anyone would serve God. Again, go back to Job. We'll come to it tonight. Job 1 verse 9. I mean, that's the only reason that anybody would serve God. The workers in the parable required a contract. And that would not work on the basis of, well, whatever is right, that shall ye receive. They did not work until they knew exactly what they would get for it, those first laborers. For comparison, what if we had a contract that giving 10% would mean a return of 20%? What if perfect attendance for a year would guarantee a new car? Suppose there was a bounty, if you will, for $500 for every person that was led to conversion, The the message of the parable is not about whether all rewards are equal, but whether one works in the service of the Lord for the right reason. It's tough for us, but as I've reminded you today, and we're going to remind you again, God be willing, next week, we put ourselves into this position. We think about we would probably react like those first workers. We need to recognize the error of that attitude because that is the problem here. Their, their error, their thought, their self-righteousness, that they deserved more, that they had earned it, that this is something that they should get and others should not get. It's quite a cautionary tale for us, even Christians today living in 2021. As we conclude this lesson, we ask you first if you are a laborer in the vineyard. Are you a child of God? If you're here this morning and you're not, we'll be singing to encourage you. We're thankful for this opportunity that presents itself at the end of the lesson that we can sort of pause. We can sing this song. We can invite you to respond to the Lord's invitation. It's not the elder's invitation. It's not the preacher's invitation. There's nothing that we can do to wash away your sins, but it's the invitation of Jesus to come unto him, to cast all of our burdens and cares upon him, to take his yoke upon us, to follow after him to allow his blood to wash away our sins. Maybe you're here this morning you've not done that. We'll be singing to encourage you. If you want to know more about God's simple plan of salvation so that you know what you're doing, why you're doing it, we would study with you even this day as soon as possible because it is the greatest decision that a person can make. Maybe you're here. In times past, you've done that, but you've wandered away. You've sort of succumbed to the cares of this world. You've sort of allow those earthly thoughts like those in this parable had to enter in, and you've wandered away from God through sin. We're thankful for his second law of pardon. You can repent of your sin, ask for forgiveness, and he is willing to forgive you. We also make this opportunity available here at this time. One of our elders will be coming forward, and you can come in a public way and make that confession known. The added benefit, one of the temporal, earthly benefits of service to God, is that then you can have your brothers and sisters praying for you. You can come back to him and begin to live faithfully, working in his vineyard again. Maybe you need the prayers of this church to encourage you with the difficult ways of this life. We're thankful for the opportunity to be here, to serve one another, and to pray for you. And if you need to make a change, would you do so now as we stand together and as we sing?